Association, which is the oldest Baptist Association in the United States. 1751. Its first Baptist Charleston is actually first Baptist ever. Right? <laughs> uh, Southern Baptist Church in the United States. So that's a, it's like if you do a tour down there, like they actually can say it other places, eh, but really they actually can't say that. So, um, and Craig is also the founder of Mission Charleston, which is an interdenominational, uh, like, go for it. I'm going to ask you more about that in a minute so you can explain it way better than I just did. Um, I often joke around with Craig that I call him either the godfather or the pope. He has his hands in so much mission and church stuff in our area. He's just a gifted guy. And for you guys to know, some of you guys may not know this, is that when we were praying about um, Sangaree Baptist Church and Sovereign Grace Church coming together and merging five years ago, this guy was instrumental. This guy basically held their hand, held our hand, and said, hey, I think you guys can come together. And at different points, they're like, ah, can we do this? Can we not? I get on the phone with Craig. He's like, calm down. Okay. <laughs> breathe. We're just gonna breathe. Keep yeah, breathe. <laughs> keep moving and see what the Lord has. And so it's been just an encouragement hmm. to just be your friend. And to, that you would count me as a friend, I oh, think. Man. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, yeah. and just uh, just see what God's doing. He's a unifier in our city. But even more than that, he's a godly man. He loves the Lord. He's a godly husband. Sadly, Rebecca's sick and couldn't be I with know. us today. He's a godly dad. All his kids are grown and out of the house. And he loves being a grandpa. Yes. He will show you grandkid pictures. Gladly. Right. Yeah, 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 he's got them. He talks about them all the time. It's not annoying at all. Great. <laughs> he loves his grandkids. Uh, so, uh, Craig, I want um, first just for the church to hear you. What's God been teaching you lately? Yeah, it's a joy to be here. I look out and see so many people I know and some I don't know, and and Mike sitting next to you is a joy for me. So, uh, grateful for the relationships that God's given us. I think for me, uh, the Lord's been teaching me uh, two words: stay curious. Uh, it's so easy to get used to what is status quo. All the work that we do, whether it's the work you do or the work that I do, it's easy to get discouraged by what you don't see, what could be. Um, but I love, I love the, the two words, staying curious, because it keeps us focused on what does God want to do in this moment? Uh, what, what has he not done yet that he's going to do? And just keep your heart expectant. I don't always stay there, but I do try to stay curious so that we think about what's next, you know? So, yeah. Um, all right, tell us about the mission of Charleston Baptist Association. What do you guys yeah. desire? What's kind of success in your eyes? Um, we could have different presuppositions there, yep. but what do you guys, with uh, the local area, what do you feel like God's called you to? There's 82 churches in the Charleston Association, which is the tri-county area, and um, that's a lot of churches, and they're all different in a lot of different ways. So our, our main idea is, with two words, connecting potential, uh, and, and to give it more specific, connecting churches for kingdom potential. And so our, every church find their path where the kingdom of God is advancing in them and through them, and then together, collaboratively, how does that look for the whole region of Greater Charleston? So really, the way that we measure that is by uh, our churches being strengthened, if they're struggling and declining, is the gospel at the center? If not, how can we help? Uh, are leaders being strengthened? Is the leader's soul and heart doing well? Is the marriage of that leader doing well? That's really important to us. Um, and, then, and then how are we multiplying more churches in our region? We, we have 
a lot of people moving into greater Charleston, as we all see, just getting the traffic, right? You know it. And so there's a great need for more churches, both to be planted and to be replanted. And then lastly, as churches collaborated, which is really just seeing how do we see ourselves better together? How do we line up our uniqueness together? So that's a key thing. I think every church has a missional signature. And so we're trying to interpret what is that and see it from a church and then try to show a kind of a macro picture of how does that fit together in the body and the fullness of Jesus in <laughs> greater Charleston? Yeah. yeah. We, uh, Craig, actually, I didn't have this in our notes. I'm going to wing it right All right, now. wing it. We founded One Charleston together, which is talking about multi-ethnic ministry in, uh, in <clears throat> the Charleston area. Yeah. And, um, and we actually have a, another meeting later yeah, this that's week right, for this week. Our, our leaders because we're trying to figure out what does this mean in this moment as far as thinking about the gospel and how the multi-ethnic <clears throat> dimensions and how yeah. to areas of brokenness in our city in particular. Um, so thank you for doing that. Thank oh, you for being part of that. And then um, you founded Chris, uh, Craig is just he's an entrepreneurial guy. So you found I say I. There's so, many, so much of a we behind that so I just can't say it's me. <laughs> in fact maybe a better uh, image is Gandalf versus the Gandalf. Godfather. So you yeah. You know Gandalf was he was Gandalf. cool. He went and got stuff and brought it back and you know See, good things happened. I don't. What, no. Oh, like, man. When, when people I, like have nicknames and stuff, they don't get to choose their nickname. I, they get it. I know. To them. I'm just trying to work the, so, the mafia with ministry. I can't okay. seem to Maybe it's just mafia connect that. Maybe you can found another group okay. called mafia. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead, Okay. So. Mission Charleston is, um, is, is a place where we can say the kingdom of God is bigger than one denomination and that it really calls for all churches together to see the city. And ultimately, the mission and the goal of it is, is gospel saturation. How can every man, woman, and child hear the gospel and every life be impacted by the gospel? So how can we do that together as the church, Big C Church in Greater Charleston? And that's the real passion of Mission Charleston is to see that mobilization happen put those lenses on, and then find ways that we can be the church side by side. Uh, there's a whole lot more we can agree on together than we disagree on and that we're different. And so let's take the parts that we're really, again, gospel-centered, Christ-centered churches can move the gospel and the kingdom forward in the city. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for doing Multiple that. Multiple ways. After you. There were several folks from our church at a luncheon just a few weeks ago. Oh, they were yeah. looking at maybe doing some discipleship labs in our area, yeah. just pulling churches together <laughs> Wow. Um, uh, pray that I don't grow weary in well-doing, uh, and I, I'm so blessed by people around me. Um, it's always, it's always looking how, that I, um, how do I leverage the strengths that I have and recognize my limitations and not try to be what I'm not, uh, and then helping to strengthen the leaders around me and see their gifts being used in a greater way. Uh, so just knowing wisdom and how to leverage all of that together, and again, just be, be okay with, with what I, I can and I can't do. Yeah. And again, it's not up to me. I'm not sovereign. Only God is. Yeah. So I want him to, to show his glory and his fullness. And so I always want to bow my knee in, in a healthy shame to say, I, I'm just limited. Yeah. Uh, but, but God is not. And so how do we leverage what we have and how can we be a greater fullness of who he is? Right. So, right. yeah. Well, I'm grateful we've been hearing you think about guys like Armin Plater and Vince who yeah, serves on staff with yeah. you. And like kind of the, um, what was uh, <clears throat> 
Jethro? Jethro and saying, hey, you've got to have others. Yeah, you do. Oh, yeah, I can't do it. Yeah. The Fellowship of the Ring. The Fellowship of the Ring. Exactly. It brings back. Are you Gandalf still gray or white? Well, we'll let the church determine that after the message. That's right. That's right. Well, half the church just left. <laughs> wow. That's, that's really true. <laughs> it is a blessing to stand before you today. I do desire that God would use me to encourage you and strengthen you. Um, in this day, and so thankful for Risen Hope Church and the relationship we have together here in the city, as Mike shared. Just so grateful for Mike and uh, for all of you. Uh, Luke 24, uh, the message today I'd, I'd like to speak to is the message on kingdom hope, kingdom hope. And um, the reason why I want to use those two words is because in this passage, um, hope was needed to the hearts that were struggling. Um, and also the reason why I use the word kingdom is because if you remember when Jesus was resurrected, the resurrected Christ that we sang about this morning, walked on the earth for 40 days before he ascended. And in those 40 days, it says that he spent all every day speaking about the kingdom of God. You see that in Acts chapter 1, that he, he went back to his followers and talked about the kingdom of God. So kingdom and hope are the two ideas I want to put in front of you this morning. Um, as I do that, uh, I want to ask a question to you after I quote this scripture. The scripture is this, is, is out of Psalms 38, verse 14. It says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, I don't know where you are in your disposition today. Uh, I know where I'm at in my own heart. And so as we come into this room, we all have experienced disappointment, discouragement, and have been brokenhearted, even crushed in our spirit. So I want, to, I want to first of all say that kingdom hope 
is when Jesus comes to us in that space where we're broken hearted and he breathes hope and life into us. So many times it's hard for us to trace where the kingdom is present in our life, isn't it? So where is the kingdom of God at in my life right now? Let alone where is kingdom hope at in my heart right now? And so what I want to do is go to a place and space in Scripture where there were followers of Jesus, his closest followers, who were struggling with despair, discouragement, and I would even say some of them detachment from him because all the things they thought were to be were not. Now, the benefit we have is that we can read the rest of the story. We know what happened. But let's, let's go back to that middle space where Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and right on the morning when the women came to the tomb, uh, things were not as they thought they would be, let alone to think about what God's kingdom was going to do in that moment. So I want us to go into the place where people were brokenhearted, without hope, and see how kingdom hope pursued them and brought them to a place where they were not. Because I, there's three things that we'll see in the text this morning. One is that there were hearts that needed to believe again. They needed to have hope again. There were eyes that were blinded and couldn't see. There were minds that were closed and couldn't understand. And when I read through this text for myself this week and prepared, I thought, you know, th that's a common place where we can get to, can't we? Our eyes can be veiled to say, Lord, what are you doing? Where are you in the midst of my disappointment? Lord, help my mind understand because I don't see, I can't see with my mind what you're doing and, and who you are in this moment. Or, or even, even my heart is, can I believe even through disappointment? I just recently had someone very dear to me who's had this deep, dark cloud of frowning providence over their life right now that she said to me, my dreams have died. My dreams have died. So I'm laying onto you something heavy because what I want to do is show you from today and from the risen Christ that kingdom hope can come into those places. And I believe when we are vulnerable and transparent and even curious, kingdom hope will invade that space and fill it up. But if apathy or anxiety or things that we often kind of veer into from fear or sadness take hold of us, I think we miss what God has for us in the moment. Now, kingdom hope will keep pursuing us. That's what we'll see from this text this morning, is that kingdom hope will be relentless to pursue us, pursue you personally and pursue me. Ever since the risen Christ stepped foot, was, was raised out of the grave and pursued those closest to him, that same risen Christ, that same kingdom reality is seeking to invade our lives every day. So I want you and I to be so attuned to seeing it and longing for it, even through the times when we're fearful, when we're sad, and when we're lonely. That's when I believe kingdom hope is seen the clearest. So that's my message. In fact, I could close right now and just say, God bless you. Read the text, and I hope things go well, right? I'm not going to do that. I've got too much to share, but I want, I, want to, I want to bring you to that space because here are the things. Have you ever experienced a time in your life when you thought what would happen didn't? Yeah, right? Have expectations and aspirations for something your heart was set on 
ever collapsed and crumbled right in front of you? Have your dreams and desires you thought were aligned with God's will ever get replaced with disappointment and even disillusionment about your life or what you had hoped for? The result often is that disappointment will lead to despair, despair will lead to depression, and depression will lead to detachment, where your heart becomes almost feels like it's dead again. It's not alive. I want your heart to be alive. I want my heart to be alive to the king who wants to speak a word of hope to us today. So will you pray with me that God would do that in this time? Father, we ask that as we have come to this place and we have, Lord, and best that we know how, made ourselves ready to hear from you, we pray that only your spirit would speak to us in this moment, that we'll look back and see how you did that through your word, the scriptures, on the earth. And Lord, that today, the risen Christ, the the kingdom of God, the hope of of God in Christ would fill our hearts again, Uh, not to wash away whatever pain we're walking through, Lord, but to to walk in that pain in a place where we see Jesus as the one who can complete and minister and serve us in that pain, who can come to the place that we are in our moment of transparency and and meet us there. So I pray that you would just simply meet us there, Lord, as you do. And we ask that you would do that in your name and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs 13, 12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I want to take you to the text here in Luke 24, If you look at verse 21, here are two men on the road to Emmaus that Jesus appeared to, and look what it says in that verse, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. So again, I'm drawing out the moment of where these followers of Jesus were in between what was about to happen, and I believe, again, we live in that middle space a lot. And so we see these two men that were struggling, and it says, we had hoped. Aren't those words heavy? Don't you hear them? I had hoped that this would happen. Let's put ourselves into the story here and the followers. There's an answer here that will provide healing and hope for us. Um, Even hope was deferred uh, in, in the chapter right before Luke 24, where the soldiers were mocking Jesus, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews... Why don't you save yourself? There was an inscription even over his head that said, this is the king of the Jews. So here they're mocking him and saying, if this is the king, why can't he save himself? So hope deferred was there all around that space. Hope deferred was the thief on the cross saying, Jesus, remember when you come into your kingdom. This man has done nothing, one thief said to him. The other one said, why can't he save himself and us as well? And he says, remembering when you come into your kingdom, even at the burial, Joseph of Arimathea arranged for his place in the end of Luke 23. It says that Joseph was a man looking for the kingdom of God. So my suggestion in that whole idea is that the kingdom of God is always around us. It's, it's always moving. What did Jesus say the kingdom of God is like? He described what? Multiple things, didn't he? The kingdom of God is over there, and it's over there, and it's like this, and it's like that. It, the kingdom of God is within you. So all those things that I want to encourage you with that I see in this text that's important for us today is that kingdom hope is always pursuing us. So as we look at this, the first thing I want to point out about kingdom hope, what it does, it opens, the kingdom hope opens hearts to believe. Kingdom hope opens hearts to believe. We see that at the very beginning where the women uh, went to the tomb, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, 
And it says the other women with them went to the tomb, and what did they find? The tomb was empty. I think what Warren Rearsby said is really good. He said, the, the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. He's Jesus, right? He's the creator. He can do whatever. He can, he can blow right through any stone, can he? But the stone was really rolled away to let the witnesses in. That's a different perspective, isn't it? So that we can see that what he said is true and what he has done has been fulfilled. See, where hope comes back is when God says what he says and he does what he does. And we put our trust and hope in him. Well, as the women came to the tomb, it was very clear that, that they were terrified. They were frightened. Why? Because they, they went to the tomb. He was gone. Everything they expected to be there was not there. They were ready to prepare his body for burial. And as they went, it was empty. And even more bizarre is, is that there were some men in dazzling white apparel, it says, appeared to him, appeared to them and said, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Is this a riddle? Like, <laughs> what's happening here, right? So there's an expectation that they had longed for to go and love and care for the body of Jesus. But they had forgotten the words that he had spoken before. And that's what fear does. Fear takes the things that we know to be true and replaces it with doubt. And then doubt will lead always to anxiety. And anxiety leads us to begin to say, all right, we got to fix this. How do we take control of the situation? These women responded differently, though. They were afraid, but they didn't allow their fear go to anxiety. Their fear transitioned to wisdom and to hope. I think the reason why, this is Craig's interpretation, I think the reason why the first people at the tomb to witness the resurrected Christ that he was gone, where these women, is because they were attached to who he was. They, they didn't struggle with all the questions that the men had at the time. Now, ladies, that's kudos to you. All kidding aside from that comment, the reality is that these women were so near, and I think even so attached and attuned to who Jesus was, it made sense that they'd be the first ones there. It made sense to me. So as they're there and terrified and afraid and even questioning a lot of things, immediately when the words were spoken about what was said, didn't he say he'd rise again? Yes, they did. They remembered his words. And what happened? Immediately, they operated in faith and wisdom. And they were filled with joy because of that. So I think the first thing that Kingdom Hope does is that it goes to our heart and it causes it to beat again with belief. Because life and circumstances will crush us. It will crush you and it crushes me. And when it does, what do I do in that moment? What do I believe? Do I believe God is good if my diagnosis from the doctor is bad? 2014, I was diagnosed with bladder cancer. I had just planted a church. I thought, Lord, surely you can exempt me from cancer because I'm helping to do a good thing for the kingdom, right? You talk about hitting a wall. Man, I hit a wall. Like, what is going on? My heart was just filled with doubt and fear, and, and it, it, man, it jettisoned over to anxiety. 
I was trying to figure out, okay, what do I do to fix this problem? I've I got to find the best doctors. And I, got, I've got to save, I, I want to be saved and preserved because I'm afraid. I don't know if you've been in a situation like that or similar, but we all will get there if, if you haven't already. There's going to be a crisis like that where you go, Lord, what do I really believe about you? What I believe about this moment that you're doing in my life. Are you good? Is your kingdom big enough to see me? If I allowed my anxiety to cover me up for so long, I, I would probably still be in doubt and fear. But instead, God relentlessly pursued me. My wife said, Craig, God's got this and he's got you. I wasn't saying that to my heart. <laughs> I was saying, what can I do to get out of this issue? Like, what can I do to fix it? I wanted to be my own functional savior. Our hearts need to believe because when things like that happen and life crushes on us like that, the reality is that God is good and he is going to pursue us. See, kingdom hope is a personal experience, but it's always pointed to a universal outcome, a universal solution. Kingdom hope is not just for me, it is for me. That's what makes it so amazing. But what I experience of kingdom hope is also the same thing that you need in kingdom hope, and there's no lack of supply in it. The bank account is full. It will not be depleted, and it will pursue us. It will. The question is, are we ready to receive it? That's really the question, right? Because the reality for these women is that in their fear, they could have turned to anxiety, but instead they turned to wisdom and to hope. Now, what happened was they said, hey, listen, we've got to go tell the guys, right? So they ran back to the room where the guys were, the 11, 11 disciples, who were in despair themselves, disappointed, disillusioned, and they go into the room and says, you won't believe this, but he is risen just like he said. And they were so excited to hear the news. Now, you should be shaking your head. No, they weren't. Like, it says in the text, it says in verse 11, they did not believe them because their words seemed to them like nonsense. You see, that's what a closed mind does and a, and a heart that's detached does is it doesn't believe, it doesn't trust. It just clings on to what's in front of you. And whatever weight is carrying you down, like shackles and weights on your feet and you're swimming in the ocean, it'll keep just dragging you down. So that's where they were. They were drowning in their own loneliness. And their loneliness actually was leading them to be apathetic about it. It's nonsense. Now, these are the followers of Jesus who multiple times heard him teach. How many times? All the time. And what did he say? Multiple times. Metaphors, clear words, explanation. I'm going to do this. Multiple, multiple, multiple messages, right? And they thought it was nonsense. How many Sundays have you gone to church? Well, for me, 57 years, I've been going to church. In fact, when I was in my mother's womb, I was, had, had perfect attendance because my mom was there. I don't know how good I heard in the womb, but the fact is I was there. I, I don't even know, I can't even tell you how many messages I've heard preached over my whole lifetime. It would be probably cr a crazy number. And how quickly it is and how easy it is for our hearts to disbelieve what we've heard for so long what we've witnessed with our eyes, what our hands have touched. So I, I want to I commend to you and I want to compel you with me this morning 
is just, to, let's, just make, let's just make an admission today that our hearts, like the psalm says, the song, it's, our hearts are prone to wander, right? So as we know that's true, what do we need in our life in that moment when there's a trigger of something happening? How do we put our faith in something when our fear says, walk away? Well, the good news is the gospel is going to be relentless. It's not going to let us just walk away. But the question is, is our heart ready to believe it? Can we grasp it as quickly as these women did to say, yes, I'm not going to be afraid anymore. I'm going to believe and I'm going to run to tell others that this is true. They believed. They remembered. They returned. They reported. It was clear to them. They were living out of a place of being attached to Jesus, even though everything they thought and knew about him was different and they weren't sure about a lot of things. They still believed and attached back to what they believed. That, I believe, is what God wants from us when we see kingdom hope at work. The second thing is that kingdom hope, it, op- it opens eyes to behold. It opens eyes to behold. And this is what we see in Luke 24, verses 30 to 32. It says that as these two men on the Emmaus Road were walking, that as they were walking, they were discouraged and sad. They were filled with sadness. And when Jesus walked with them, they couldn't tell that it was him. Remember the rest of the story? They got to the house in Emmaus, and it says in the text, when he was at table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. <laughs> there you go. The resurrected Christ, the one in whom has all authority in heaven and earth, now he's disappearing. He, he's vanishing because he can. He vanished from their sight, and they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And the answer, of course, was yes, they did. So kingdom hope takes temporal dreams and dreams that are gone or that have died, and kingdom hope reimagines them with eternal realities. How many times have you and I prayed for things, and while we're praying for what we think we need, that in our praying, God changes our words? What a, what a gift that is from God. Lord, thank you for taking my brain and my mouth and somehow separating it for a moment and putting back together what should be said. <laughs> that doesn't happen all the time, right? It doesn't happen all the time, but I know you've experienced that. I have where, where my eternal perspective is not locked in as I'm praying. All I'm doing is saying, Lord, like David in the Psalms, I don't understand why others are doing well and I'm suffering. Why don't you see my suffering? And, and these two men were that way because sadness had filled their hearts so much that sadness was drifting them over towards self-pity instead of pushing them toward acceptance of what was. In other words, Jesus met them in their moment where they were in their sadness. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. So, on the road to Emmaus, he's walking beside them, right? He just shows up, and these two men are walking down to the town. And as they're walking, he's, he, he's hidden. It's kind of like, you remember the show Undercover Boss? Remember that show? That's a great, I love that show, because I love the way that redemption happens in every episode. But it also gets gritty, doesn't it? Like when that boss, so undercover boss, the boss goes in, the CEO, he disguises himself, he can't tell who it is, he goes into the company, he gets on the assembly line or he gets around the serving counter or whatever business it is, and he's just talking to employees. How's it going? Do you love this company? Do you not? And you hear those gritty people like, man, 
this company really is bad, and our CEO is the worst, and, you know, all this stuff. And this guy is just hidden in disguise, and he's listening to all that stuff going on. So there is a moment of retribution I see in the episodes when he calls in the employees that he hung around with, and the ones that were, like, gritty, they usually kind of lose their job, you know. But then the ones that were just saying, you know, man, it's hard, work is hard, my life is struggling, but, man, I'm grateful for this job. And then he just boatloads them with reward, like gets their kids through college or helps them finish buying their house. It's just a, it's amazing redemption. I love it. It's just awesome. It's like, here's the hero, and he was hidden before them. Well, Jesus is on the road like an undercover boss, and he's walking with these two disciples, and they're, they're saying, we're sad. And, and he says, why are you sad? And he's going, it was almost like Cleopas, one of the disciples, said, like, are you the only person in Jerusalem who just kind of showed up and parachuted down and you don't know what's going on? Like, the whole city knows about this. Where have you been? Oh, it's so great, isn't it? <laughs> I love that, oh, that serendipitous moment. So what does Jesus do? And he goes, well, wait a second now, guys. Didn't Jesus say, <laughs> didn't the CEO say that these things would happen? Because based on the Old Testament and all those things, that this would come to pass. And they're still kind of thinking, yeah but, yeah, but it didn't turn out like we thought it should. See, what my eyes could see, it didn't compute where my expectations were set. So until Jesus got into the house and then took the bread and broke it, it says only then were their eyes opened. I think that's, again, where we are, is that eyes to behold means that we have to be transparent with where we are, and that's the credit I want to give these two men on the road. I believe they walked out of transparency. They didn't walk in apathy. They didn't say, yeah, this big thing happened, and man, it's too bad, but we're going to the next, we're going to the next thing now. No, they, they sat in the middle of their sadness and said, all of our hopes and dreams and everything rested on this reality, and now we don't know if it's going to happen. See, I think transparency and sadness is a good place for us to sit for a while. That's where God shows up and says, I can be the Savior for you in your moment of sadness. See, what sadness does is it, it, it brings us to a place of greater dependency. It says, I can't control the things around me. I don't understand them. But I'm going to wait and watch and look and see what God's going to do because I know somehow he's going to show up on the road that I'm walking on. And when he does, I want to be able to see him with my own eyes. Now, thankfully, like you and like me, I have a veil. I, I've got things that keep me from seeing. My sadness goes to self-pity. And so, therefore, I need Jesus to break the bread again for me. Break the bread again for me. Lord, tell me, remind me again. You said that you are the, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. Would you remind me again? Because I need you to break the bread for me. I can't see it. That's what he does. So what did these two guys do? They got excited. Their sadness turned to gladness and joy. They ran to the room right where the women were. And they said, guys, guess what? Jesus, who said he would rise again from the grave, he has. We have seen him. He sat down with us at a table, and he broke the bread. And our eyes appeared. And then guess what happened? He vanished. Now, really, they're kind of spinning a nonsense land, right? Like, Okay, <clears throat> the women have come back. They saw some white 
white, dazzling apparel of some men speaking these words. Now you guys are saying that this undercover boss came on the road and told you these things and, and that he, sh he showed himself to you. Yes, is what we're saying. They did not believe. Again, life and circumstances and things we don't see often will lead us there to despair or doubt. Third thing is this. Um, he, he now confronts and comes into the room where there's been the, the room of closed minds and a closed room. And then in verse thir Luke 24, 45, it says, he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He did the same thing he did with the two men on the road. This time, it was an undercover boss. It was Jesus himself coming in the room, but instead of them seeing him as Jesus, they thought, maybe this is a spirit. Maybe we can't trust this thing, this, this kind of illusion we're seeing in front of us. So what did they do? They said, listen, we need to be able to know and verify that it's you. Now, how would you like to be Jesus in that moment? The, the, the people that you've given your life to, and you come back from the dead, and they're saying, uh, we need some verification. Would you mind showing us your ID and, uh, and tell us, uh, and do maybe a miracle for us at the same time, you know? It's that moment where, again, what, what doubt and what despair does, and in this case, what loneliness does is it leads to apathy instead of toward intimacy where we can see God for who he is. So what does he do? All right, guys, here we go. Give me something to eat, and I'll eat it. Touch me, and you can see that I'm real. Thomas, right, struggled the most. He said, well, Lord, unless I can touch the nail prints in his hands, I'm not believing this is it. Peter, of course, ran to the grave impulsively, thinking, all right, got to see this for myself. I don't know the women, what they're saying. It sounds like fables to me, but I'm going to go find out. Later on, as we get toward his ascension, Peter says, guys, this is still kind of bonkers to me. I'm going fishing. I'm going back to the trade that I knew because everything this is supposed to be didn't spin out like it's supposed to. Jesus is supposed to come, be the conquering king, get Rome off our back, and let's get things done. And Jesus was saying the kingdom of God is not coming as a political power. It's coming as a reigning, ruling power of hearts of people. It's going to dwell within you. So, Kingdom hope does this. It opens minds to understand. It opens minds to understand. Kingdom hope is an immediate reality with a deferred outcome. It's an immediate reality with a deferred outcome. It's here. It's within you, but yet, so it's already, but yet it's not yet because we know the kingdom of God, if we read through all the scripture, there is a day coming when there will be a literal kingdom ruling on this earth a literal kingdom in the heavens that we will be part of that will not fade away and whose, whose kingdom will be about the king himself, Jesus, and ruling that and sickness and sadness, all that goes away. It says that in verse 32 that they were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost and they said, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your minds? This is just real, isn't it? Isn't it real? where loneliness takes you, doubts were eroding away their curiosity, replacing it with status quo and apathy. Yeah, here we go again, putting our hope in another prophet, another teacher, in another professed Messiah, and now that's all gone. Our heart, our mind, our eyes are so quick to wander from what we know to be true. 
So that's the bad news of the story. That's the sad news of the story. The good news is that the kingdom of God, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, will relentlessly pursue us. You talk about a love that's amazing, a grace that's amazing, that it will not let us go. Even when we doubt and despair, even we in this room who maybe have some of the best theological training and best Bible knowledge, the risen Christ still comes, and he needs to come because our hearts are easy to give away. See, kingdom hope is an immediate reality with a deferred outcome. For example, for all you visual learners, I've been doing a lot of talking. Let me do something visual for you. I'm not going to make this apple disappear like Jesus vanished. No sleight of hand. An illustration. If I cut this apple up and I gave each of you a piece of it, you likely wouldn't get satisfied and nourished very much from the amount that you're going to get because there's a lot of people in this room there's only one apple. So, that would be hope being deferred for you and for me because we wouldn't get much. If I cut this apple open and took the seeds out, threw the seeds away, and tried to serve everyone, it would not satisfy you. But what if I said this to you? I'm going to make a promise to you that you'll never want for another apple in your life. In fact, I can promise you that you'll have as many apples as you need if I did this. If I show you this one apple, I take the seeds out of this apple, and if I found a way horticulturally to make apple trees grow in South Carolina, I had to add that little parenthetical because I don't think they do, but if in my backyard I was able to plant an apple orchard in about maybe three to five years, I'd be growing a lot of apples. And then I can come back to Risen Hope and say, Mike, I've got apples for everybody. In fact, every year, I'm going to provide you with abundant supply of apples. Now, that would be hopeful for you to know that what I showed you today, you're not getting today. But one day, there's going to be a day when you'll get as much as you need. That is what the kingdom of God many times is like. It's a deferred reality. We see the apple We've even tasted of it maybe just a little bit. But there's something being planted in the ground that God's doing in your life and in my life that's about the kingdom that one day will become a full reality. We will not want. We will not have sickness. There will not be any war. There will be no injustice. That day is coming. So I say that to you as an example. It's like that same adage where you say, not the question. That's reminding me to wrap up. So, um, it's not, The question is not how many seeds, right, are in the apple. It's how many apples can I get out of one seed, right? That's multiplication. That's like the kingdom of God. It's a deferred reality, but has an eternal outcome that's coming. The last thing I want to point out is what happens at the very end, because we know that the disciples, once they saw Jesus, when their eyes, their minds were open to understand, finally, the women that testified, the two men on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus himself coming before them. Look how much effort it takes to help the heart to believe again and the, and the mind to understand again. But God will do that for us because that's who he is. He loves us that much. What happened was they all joined together in a chorus. And look at Luke 24, 52 to 53. It says they worshiped him 
and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Man, what a difference from where they were. <laughs> like this thing is, the wheels have fallen off this wagon. It's, it's gone. But now they're back together. Now they're going with confidence, with great joy, and they were continually blessing God in the temple. Do you see that big difference of what happens when kingdom hope comes in? It meets us where we are. It changes everything. Now, this was not just a one-time occurrence because we know after this that Peter had doubts and questions. Jesus showed up for breakfast, remember, on the beach and said, Peter, do you love me? Come back to Peter again. Peter, do you remember what I said to you? Do you love me? Again, the wooing and the longing and the relentless pursuit of the kingdom of God after a believer in Jesus. God does the same with us. Now, the question is, how do we get to the place where God doesn't have to do so much work to get back to my heart again or to my eyes or my mind? Like, how, how can my heart be so attuned that, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drift, but I'm not going to fall off the cliff here? I believe it's because when the gospel is present in our lives and we're preaching it to ourselves every day, we're immersing ourselves in what we know to be true, I believe our eyes, our mind, and our hearts can be prone to believe and grab hold quicker like the women demonstrated than many times what we, we find ourselves in. See, their, their lips turn to praise. The, the kingdom hope opens up lips to proclaim because kingdom hope meets people where they need it the most in the moment, and yet its purpose to saturate every part of our being, our heart, our minds, and our eyes. Their lips turn to praise, meaning that they had gratitude. They had gratitude. So everything from vulnerability to transparency to being curious, um, all those things lead to a point of gratitude where, God, this is you, and I, I'm rejoicing in it, and I want to cling to what I know. See, gladness, uh, Chip Dodd wrote a book called The Voice of the Heart. He says this, gladness is admitting and surrendering to the fact that we are powerless and that God is doing for us what we cannot do. Gladness is admitting and surrendering to the fact that we are powerless and that God is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's where real joy is when it doesn't have to be about me holding all things together because I can't. Only the one who holds all things together can hold me together in all things. The Voice of the Heart, Chip Dodd, has been such a book of, of working in my heart and soul to bring me to a place to get my heart to attune better to who Jesus is. I've got a long way to go. I've got a lot of brokenness in me. I know you do too. But the reality is we have a kingdom that's pursuing us, and God wants our eyes and our heart and our minds to believe and to understand and to see. Uh, Charles Spurgeon spoke words that so good about trusting God's heart. And uh, Babby Mason took the words and turned it into a song. And it says that God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand you can always trust his heart. All things work out for our good, though sometimes we don't see how they could. Struggles that break our hearts in two sometimes blind us to the truth. Our Father knows what's best for us. His ways are not our own, like the potter and the clay. So when our pathway seems to be dim and you just don't see him, remember you're never alone. He sees the master plan and he holds our future in his hands. So don't live as those who have no hope. All our hope is found in him. 
We see the present clearly, but he sees the first and the last. And like a tapestry, he's weaving you and me to someday be just like him. God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, and when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Closing with that idea and thought, um, in March of this year, I had the privilege to go to Israel. Never been there before. Never thought I'd be able to go just because it gets really expensive. God provided a way for my wife and I to go. And Someone said to me, when you go to Israel, it's like the fifth gospel because it tells a story that the four gospels tell, but it tells it from the land's perspective, and you can see a whole lot of things, and that's what happened. I was amazed at what I saw. Now, for me, I didn't realize what I needed in my heart at the time other than the fact that I was experiencing an amazing place and walking on roads. In fact, uh, the leader of our, our group said, we want the dust of the rabbi to get on everybody. So we're going to go to places where he walked. We're going to go to do things that he did. We're going to experience. So we might leave the tour guides and the big tour buses somewhere. We're going to go off, off the road. And we did. We went on the Jericho Road. And I'm walking on this dusty road where 80% of the people in the Bible walked on. And then the last day was amazing. We, we ended up on another dusty, dirty road. And no tour bus was there but ours. So I'm thinking, what is going on? So we end up at a cemetery, and I'm thinking this cemetery has got to be super important because why would we end our tour on, at a cemetery? Well, Anne Frank was buried there, which is very significant. Albert Schindler is buried there, very significant. But we didn't walk to their graves. We walked around the cemetery down this dirt road, and as we're going down the dirt road, I'll give you an imaginary picture. We're walking on this clay road, and in the middle were a bunch of rocks all just chopped up. And what our guide told us is that they had just excavated an area to put a drainage pipe going from where Jerusalem is located down to a hill to a town called Emmaus. And as they uncovered the dirt and the earth, they found a lot of stones they didn't expect to find. And our guide took Luke 24 and opened it up and started reading it to us. And my mouth starts to drop. Like, are you saying that this is the Emmaus Road? And so a professor from the university, an archaeologist who had met with a tour guide that was with us, gave a tip that this actually was dug up recently. And so we were able to go, again, where no tour buses went. We went to that place, and sure enough, he said, this is archaeologically proven that this is the old remains of part, only a part of the Emmaus Road. And we were sitting on it, where the resurrected Christ had put his feet. Now, I'm not claiming that where I sat is exactly where Jesus walked, but I am saying that I sat and I touched with my hands the place in the space where the resurrected Christ walked on that particular road. Now, for me, in that moment, I, I believe with my eyes, I've never seen Jesus. I, haven't, I wasn't there when he walked on the earth, but my heart has always wondered, Lord, I know this is real, but help my unbelief many times, Right? So I needed that encouragement. So I asked our tour guide, I said, tell me something. Are these rocks available? Like, can they be picked up and taken without being, you know, arrested? And uh, he said they are because they're so, the Amelius Row is seven miles long, and this is only one little section, and they just happened to dig this up and find all these rocks. So I happened to keep you curious with this little veiled box up here, but I was able to take a piece of the Emmaus Road 
That means I took stuff out of my suitcase and didn't bring it back. <laughs> my fear is that they'll actually put it back together and go, you know, we're missing one piece. <laughs> Guarantee that will not happen. I had permission to take this as a souvenir. It's my best souvenir because this story has been speaking to me for a while, and I'm sitting on a place where it actually happens. So I don't know. You may never get to Israel, but I would love for you to, after this service here in a minute, come up and just look at this rock, and you can see where it's been hewn out with hands. And it was a place where many people traveled and walked, and especially the resurrected Christ who loves you and is pursuing you and pursuing me. So I want to encourage you with that today. That's just a, a visual, but also something, a tangible thing that says it is real, and ultimately God is real, and his faith and his grace for us is real. So there's questions that you'll see on the slides, that, the last slide here, that may be asking you the questions about the kingdom of God in you and how is it at work? How is it moving in you? Do you see it? Can you touch it? Is it part of who you are? And if not, I pray that God would encourage you today anew with kingdom hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that we have because of Jesus. Thank you for um, all the... Lord, I am sad. I, Lord, I'm hurting. Lord, help us to sit in those places where we can trust in the fact that in that moment, in that place, you're not going to leave us alone, abandoned and hopeless, but that you come to us in that moment to be the one that helps us to grow out of that into a place of, of healing. But yet in our sadness, we can still sit there and go, Lord, you're good. You're kind, you're gracious. I'm lonely, Lord, but I'm not alone. So, Lord, today I pray wherever my brothers and sisters are in this place that you would just renew kingdom hope in their hearts. Have your way, I pray with us in Jesus' name. Amen.